Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining uh, Jamal and I today. Uh, you know, uh, a little over a month ago, we were sitting having some of these conversations around AI and retail and uh, the acceleration of AI in general. And uh, just thought uh, uh, we'd share some of these thoughts with you. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, the retailers on the line, trust me, I know it's fourth quarter. And we actually thought about that when we thought about when we'd have uh, this session. But yeah, this is happening so quickly and it's so important to think about as we not only finish this year, but as we think about 2024 and then, then beyond. So I uh, really appreciate everyone joining us today. I hope you uh, get a lot out of this session. It's our plan to spend uh, 30 to 40 minutes sort of chatting uh, with Jamal around what he is seeing in the field of AI, talk about some applications that are truly happening in retail today. Um, but we want this to be interactive. So you've got a, a chat section, uh, chat box uh, in your Teams instance. Uh, please throw up your questions. I'll be able to see them here. We'll answer as many as we can during the session. Uh, we have no problem stopping and sort of throwing that back and forth. Um, and then uh, we will have some time at the end to make sure that anything else that's open uh, we'll certainly cover as well. So um, with that, um, uh, want to get this kicked off. Um, uh, and for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Brian Gallagher. I'm the Retail Strategy Director here at Connection. Been here at Connection for seven years in this technology world, um, but technology's not really my background. Um, I spent a little over 20 years running retail organizations, sales organizations, uh, my last nine years as a VP of store operations uh, before joining Connection. Yeah, I mean, so that's sort of my lens. And so when I get to sit and have a conversation with Jamal about how the technology actually works, it sort of blows my mind. So hopefully this session's a little bit about um, the technology, the history, um, and then how we functionally use some of these applications in our business today. So um, with that, uh, before we get uh, too far into this, um, I do want to introduce uh, Jamal, uh, Connections Chief Growth and Innovation Officer. Um, but for this instance, that's probably the least important piece of information about Jamal. Yeah, I'm going to let Jamal talk a little bit about his background in AI. Yeah, and Jamal, if, if you can, as, as you give some of your background, yeah, I'd love for you to sort of touch on what you've seen from inception to the acceleration. I know we were just talking about it a little bit ago, but you know, what's that acceleration just on the technology side look like and where do you think that's going? Sure, absolutely. So there, I think a couple of questions there, just my background, I'm a core technologist, uh, used to build trading equity trading platforms on Wall Street in the mid nineties and then transitions into Initially, the cybersecurity space, and then uh, transition into AI around 2003, 2004, um, and have been working in this space now for 20 years. A lot of scar tissue to show for, because as I'm sure you can imagine, AI is the the more recent hype these days, and in large measure driven by a lot of the things that we've seen in the course of the last five years uh, that ha are essentially aligning in this perfect storm uh, that's driving a lot of uh, applied artificial intelligence. Um, I'll certainly share with that uh, about that. Uh, but fundamentally, I think artificial intelligence has been around for a while. Uh, I mean, well before uh, you know my inclusion on a personal level uh, within the the technology world, uh, it's in some ways been a challenge in terms of modern day AI since the 50s, when that first question was posed: 
can machines exhibit intelligence? First time you said that, and I had to think about that. Right. right? You go. I know, it, it, but you don't think about it. You don't right? think about it, and that was Alan Turing, right? So this was in the '50s, and then you had a bunch of uh, university professors that came together and said, "Let's try and solve that challenge, and let's try and look and see if we can get machines to exhibit intelligence." First, there was this almost semantical joust about trying to establish what intelligence is, but once that was kind of established as a suitcase term that incorporates a whole bunch of different things like cognition self-awareness and so on and so forth once we were beyond that then we went through these almost three four five decades of what in within ai we call the boom and bust cycles right so you had expert systems and, and you had other sort of ai nlp based systems that were born nlp nlp natural language processing uh, uh and and there were some of us are retailers <laughs> <laughs> and they were abysmally poor and we call them the boom and bust cycles almost every year you had a boom and a bust cycle this this great hype about AI getting to solve one particular challenge, either as an expert system or as a natural language processing system, and it never, never materialized. Um, which brings us to almost this last decade of sorts, because even in the early 2000s when I was working uh, within this area, it, it was incredibly challenging doing basic things like natural language processing. It's a very hard undertaking. Uh, but, excuse me, over the last four to five years, especially since 2017 with the advent of this new neural network we call Transformer, uh, which gives us the ability now to do a lot of this Gen AI stuff, especially text generation. We've seen the, this convergence. One, the, the ability to apply GPUs uh, around processing uh, as opposed to CPUs, um, even though there's a legitimate argument to be said that even in certain modern day AI workloads, CPUs will be perfectly fine to leverage. But GPUs truly materially drove a lot of this. Uh, the second area was the democratization of tool sets and toolkits. Um, you know, there, there's this explosion of, of tools like TensorFlow and PyTorch and, and a whole slew of other ecosystems out there that have really simplified the ability for simple developers and, and technologists to really you know, tinker around with this technology, which historically was the domain of really few uh, highly specialized folks. Um, then you've had this explosion of data, right? So that, that which is the underlying currency upon which we are building some of these AI, uh, AI systems. Uh, and then last but not least is just this, this evolution and transformation in these neural networks that are becoming richer, smarter, more applicable for specific use cases. Uh, whether they're GANs, generative adversarial networks, diffusions, NERFs, uh, transformers, they are really making an impact. And those that underlying sort of science behind AI is constantly being changed and shifted. And I know we were having this conversation earlier. I think the question that was posed was, has anything surprised you? I mean, what has surprised me is the velocity. And the only way well, that was a surprise is that in some ways we were thinking this will be somewhat of a, you know, unclean linear progression of evolution and growth. But then you get surprised by folks at Google Brain with their you know, paper on transformer yeah. neural networks, and now you have ChatGPT. And that's something that's relatively recent. So we often ask ourselves that question, what's happening in certain yeah. academia settings or research areas uh, in certain companies? And what are those surprises that are bound to come in, in the short term? And how is that going to impact uh, a lot of this uh, thing that we call artificial intelligence? Yeah, I mean, and we were having this conversation. Yeah, but the thing about ex the acceleration of this that uh, 
really so it sort of blows my mind uh, we were talking about this a month or so ago in, in our conversation like when you stop and think about it right this has really been an evolution since 2017 right so six years especially get yeah, right? since generative adversarial uh, right sorry and and, and gen ai yeah since 2017. The, the gen ai the the ability for us to actually put our hands on something as consumers right mm -hmm. uh, everyday folk yeah when you think about that as a, as a retailer, which is my perspective all the time, I go, retailers took almost 20 years to fully adopt mobile technologies in the stores, mm. right? Yeah, you know, before pandemic, right? You're looking at roughly 50% of retailers actually had mobile devices in the stores yeah, 15 years after the iPhone. Mm -hmm. Compare that to what's happened in six years, mm -hmm. right? Since we put our hands on it. And then think about that doesn't slow down, right? That's a the train that keeps going. So you think about six years from now, mm -hmm. what does that mean? And, and how do you start getting ready for that is, is sort of mind boggling that acceleration that has happened and is to be expected. Yeah. And I, and I think there is a question that needs to be sort of position out there, especially from a retail perspective, is, is the prelude of how the retail industry evolved or didn't evolve with technology um, something that we ought to look forward to? Because I think if you ask some of the leadership within the retail industry in general, um, there's a lot of churn. There's a lot of concern as yeah. well that the pace of innovation and change is happening at a velocity. And to your point about did those retailers who did not adopt the web or did not adopt omni-channel outreach or personalization at a programmatic algorithmic level, are those retailers faring well? And I know it's almost a rhetorical question. The short answer is no, they are not, yeah. right? Whereas those, those retailers that actually made that transition, um, in, even in sort of those contemporary technologies that we talk about, mobile and cloud and so on and so forth, have fared far better, especially, and imagine the COVID two yep. years really accelerated that. But, and through COVID, it's amazing yeah, how many retailers you saw that were flat out, don't need this, right? Don't need an omni-channel, don't need curbside delivery, whatever it was, it right? It completely changed that. Yeah. And they went, not only did we need it, there were uh, pandemic reasons for needing it in some short term. What they've seen that do to their business long-term, yeah, what they realized about how at the generation Gen Z and millennials, right, who are spending the most money, they make the most money out of all of us now. Digital native, right? right? Yeah. They're digitally native. So that integration isn't something that now is a nice to have, it's a must have. And that's the other piece of the acceleration to me with AI that sort of scares me as a retailer, and, but gets me excited about what could be is the adoption rate of the consumer mm -hmm. and the employee. Yeah, but certainly the consumer, right? They're already out there using chat GPT. So they're waiting for their version of that in retail, right? And uh, so when we talk about, you know, that adoption, the one thing I, I always say uh, to the retailers though, is right now is the most critical time to sit and make your retail game plan. Yeah, what's our brand worth, right? What are our brand values? Where will we lean into these new technologies? And where won't we? And uh, it's easier said than done, right? Because you look at the world you live in today, and, and I need everyone and want everyone to be open-minded 
because we don't even know what's to come. And you'll talk right. so about I'll, that. But I'll share. I mean, the two fundamental areas in retail that, in large measure, and hopefully you'll agree with me on this, in large measure, can almost be considered sort of the cornerstones of having a an efficient, healthy retail organization. One is personalized shopping experiences. Mm -hmm. How do you interact with your consumers? I mean, that's such a fundamental core to retail. It has always been, right? Whether it was a, a shop that you had a retail outlet and how did you design that? Did you make it interesting enough for people to interact with you? That, that classic model in the 50s, 60s, 70s is now transitioned into this digital omni-channel personalized shopping experience. By the way, that in the last four years has suddenly changed because what we would consider omni-channel specifically within the domain of the digital ecosystem, as, as your consumers are going in and out of your e-commerce systems, are they having a good omni-channel experience? You now sort of straddle that and take that into the, the physical retail world. And how do you transition a digital employee, or sorry, a digital user uh, or customer, and how do you transition them into the physical realm? Curbside pickup, personalized well, that's access. That's how we used to do hyper-personalized, used to be that physical store. Right and one region, right? I grew up in Ohio, so Northeastern Ohio versus Southern Ohio. Yeah. But you personalized it, right? You yep. customized it. Now you're doing it location by location, restaurant and, and by you're restaurant. Straddling, and you're, you're sort of overlapping or straddling from a digital property to a physical property, and those lines yep. are no longer as cleanly delineated. They're, they're, they're blurred, right? So you ought to be able to sort of manage that, and that's where artificial intelligence really comes in, into play. And the, the second aspect is inventory management. You know, capital allocations in retail is always, are you overstocked? Are you understocked? Are you appropriately stocked? Uh, and that inventory management is becoming a more complex with complex supply chain, distributed supply chain, just-in-time inventory. Um, all of that also requires a level of algorithmic assessment and analysis. So those are two most basic elements that have, have truly transformed over the course of the last, I would say, literally five years. And artificial intelligence is having a major impact on those two areas. Now, beyond that, you've got this whole slew and litany of other areas like you know, you know, cons consumer chatbots and conversational access to information. Probably the right? biggest that, that has the broadest reach right now is what you can do with camera vision. And mm -hmm. it, uh, you know the AI applications around loss prevention, physical security, and uh, understanding that, that customer's journey in a store, but now doing something with it and that as a human, you look at the business the way right. you wanted to look at your business, right? I always, I've always used the example of, well, if I put something at the front of the store, I knew it would sell better. The ability to move that around and have AI right. learn what that velocity changes and what the consumer interaction is. Yep. And so that's, so that's, that's where you're looking at the convergence of um, in-store navigation, smart shelving, foot traffic sure. analysis, um, and, and trying to sort of bring all of that data into helping you design a more appropriate or effective uh, you know, retail store layout and what that represents. Um, and absolutely, computer vision has a major uh, element to play within, within that area. Yeah, we've got Black Friday coming up, right? Mm -hmm. So now apply that through the supply chain pieces we're talking about. So your inventory management with pathing and store and the hyper-personalization. Think about customized pricing as you go region to region and you're looking at what do we have stock in? What don't we? What's sold through for a Black Friday? What's the competition doing, mm -hmm. right? And all of that it's literally possible today, right? There's some heavier lifts today, but when, as a retailer, and think about 
I'm making my plan for 2024 and beyond. These things become more and more attainable. Right. And and whenever I've probed that particular question, which I think you're alluding to is dynamic pricing yeah, and algorithmic pricing, right? Pricing. It's, sure. it's become a really complex science of sorts. It has to do with, again, local availability, uh, regional allocations, seasonal allocations, competitive pricing, For sure. your own gross margins as how you align your pricing to. So it's really become an algorithmic science on how you want to establish a dynamic pricing because it has a major impact on your, on your bottom line uh, as well. Uh, and and that again is an area where we see um, artificial intelligence play a significant part. Though having said that, I, I think a lot of retailers have a good sense on how to effectively price their products. The the, the challenge is how can they do the, that in an efficient, timely fashion, right? And generally, these pricing models, and I've seen some of these pricing models are on Excel spreadsheets, and it's a very laborious sort of archaic way of establishing pricing. Yes, you may have pivots and things of that sort, but that does not necessarily make it into a real-time dynamic pricing. And there's no answer today until a human looks at that spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That, that to me, it's actually one of the things that uh, in, in all of AI, right, is sort of trusting the data that comes out of it because it's not it's not what you typically would have thought you right. might see in a spreadsheet. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Yeah, but yeah, the dynamic pricing, all of these things, yeah, you know, the, the one thing that I would say, you know, all of these that, that we've discussed sort of touch on is those things that are, let's call them behind the scenes, right? Yeah, maybe not smacking a customer in the face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're ready, they're out there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one-on-one uh, interactions uh, with a customer, you know, maybe it's uh, that hyper-personalized marketing mm-hmm. event, right? You're mm-hmm. in a store and it knows it's Jamal or it knows it's Brian and here's your marketing message because I saw you go around the store. Mm-hmm. I know you've been in the store before or not, right? Maybe I sent you having, like I'm putting all that data together. Mm-hmm. Right, And so, but then the, the secondary challenge on that is privacy concerns, right? For sure. So are you bringing in, are you bringing in some level of facial recognition? Are you bringing in some level of identity establishment? How do you do that in a manner that complies with you applying ethical AI, right? So a lot of companies will create instead of actually having an identity uh, against an image will create some sort of a serialized unique value um, which does not sort of establish necessarily an identity beyond just a numeric number yeah. so let's say you walk into a store you stab you're given this this you know long string of characters as representing you as a personality um, that sort of non-reversible identity identity establishes your flow within that retail outlet your 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 likelihoods to to sort of stop in front of a particular shelf with a certain set of products uh, that you spend more time on. You spend you know 10% of your time in that store looking at a shelf with particular products. Now guess what? You go and you're on at home. You're <laughs> that's online. All you get. That's all you get. And so it's reinforced. Those are the sort of data integrations and alignments that that we're beginning to see. And it's not an easy undertaking. Yeah. It requires a lot of pre-spade work from infrastructure which is retail edge infrastructure, data creation, inference at the edge, uh, data collection, orchestration, curation at the cloud, or some sort of an on-prem infrastructure, and your applications. Your applications and their ability to sort of leverage that information and actually drive those insights. It's not an easy undertaking. It's And the cool thing that I see coming out of that as uh, we as retailers and our, our our marketers have done an amazing job over the last 20 years. You mentioned data earlier, right? So we've long as retailers said data is the actual currency. And so our marketing teams have done a really nice job of understanding what are we going to push? So 
you know, in the omni-channel world, they can see that I'm looking at X and they can give me X and Y and Z consistently today, right? right? You can see that. The cool thing about what AI can open up is it looks at all of the consumer base. And instead of three to five to 10 points of interest, it can expand that out to 100, right? You're actually able to expand what you're promoting to a consumer. So you're not just looking at Brian's information. You're now looking at, well, Brian has a family that looks like X Mm -hmm. or Y. And what might he present to them? Holidays change, right? Seasonality. uh, You go from Mother's Day, Father's Day, right? uh, Into a holiday. And the ability for these engines to look at me differently than just the big data. Right, that we used to look at is is pretty. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair, uh, and I think the what you're sort of representing is that in large measure, a lot of retailers have what we call structured data. It's data that's reasonably well codified. It's reasonably well tagged. Um, the 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 challenge is that especially around artificial intelligence, with that sort of data, you can do a lot of statistical modeling and 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 things of that sort. But I think. Um, we often find with a lot of retailers that there is still a lot of gap within their data data set, especially when they're trying to build machine learning models and they're trying to do or leverage artificial intelligence. So that does require a level of work on their part to now henceforth start collecting that information because no one sort of thought about, think about the data collection process 20 years ago. No one was looking at an identity of an individual walking into a store <laughs> and trying to establish a unique identifier against that individual and then trying to allocate how much time they spent and where they've walked around that store. That's a completely new class of data that retailers probably didn't have. Um, at best, there were maybe counts. Well, you know, there was nothing. There was nothing. Like that. <laughs> right. Was so, nothing. so that's a completely new data set that exists. So that does require a level of re-engineering, redesigning of processes. Um, in some ways, might even require a level of what we call synthetic data creation, where you've got to actually create data. And what do you leverage there? You leverage, again, artificial intelligence. Talk to us a little bit about that and who does that and, and how that actually comes to be. Right. So in, in large measure, uh, let's say on the retail side, definitely so on the life sciences side, uh, where <clears throat> there's a need for a lot of information and data, and there's often gaps in data. Um, so companies will create synthetic data, data that that is not real in per se, but it's accurate enough and real enough for it to be applied within training models. Yeah. So you've got gaps in your data set, but you want to train an AI model. And so now you need to now you can go through the laborious process of building applications, collecting that data over 10 years, and uh-huh. now you now you time. So in order to compress that timeline, you will go create really meaningful data, that synthetic data, that gives you the variance, gives you the right inputs. And then now that amplifies your limited data set. And now you can truly go out there and train models around that. So generally speaking, we see that quite often applied in, in life sciences around especially molecular design and, and in the pharma, pharma uh, pharmaceutical industry. Uh, but there's certainly use cases even in retail and other areas as yeah, well. For sure, especially in, in the, the larger uh, true omni-channel experience, right? Where uh, you're actually seeing all these other touch points. If you're doing with partner networks, right? You can lean in on the partners, whether that's Amazon or, or some of the other shops that are out there to get that real data, maybe not to a specific retailer, but now I can put that into my engine and start looking at what our consumers in general doing. Right. And, and it, so, I mean, one thing that I, I'd love to sort of get your thoughts on as well is, is you'll probably agree with me, you know, 
we're having a hard time bringing employees back into work, right? <laughs> so the question or the challenge that I often sort of think in my head is the how do we bring consumers into retail outlets or are retail outlets really changed yeah. or are changing? So you think about certain stores, you go into a mall, you look at a mall, these big malls, and there's certain stores that that are still likely to have the footfall and foot traffic, whereas otherwise it's, yeah. it's a pretty scary proposition. Yeah. So I, I think there is an onus on retailers to truly transform how they want their products and the consumers Absolutely. to interact. And that's where augmented reality, that's where spatial computing, all of these other newer technologies come into play. How, how can I try out a product in an augmented realm? That completely changes the dynamic nature of my storefront. My storefront is no longer that store space, square footage that I bought. I can actually extend my storefront all the way to a to an airport, to any place, to a, to a train station, and then and then have or give the uh, the ability for my consumers to interact with my products. I think that's going to have a material change on oh, yeah. retail. The the one thing that that retailers fully understand today, and that we maybe didn't even ten years ago, and is how experiential retail is. Whether it's online or the physical store, it's all experiential and and not just the experience of getting my product quickly when I'm in the store versus waiting for it to be delivered, right? We sort of narrowed that down with next day delivery yeah, all over the place, yeah. right? But it's a lifestyle experience now. Yeah. And so for the consumer, yeah, thinking about how they interact, right? And so we go back to the fact that they're already playing with chat GPT at home and, and doing all these things. Yeah. And, and we know as retailers, um, even simple things like putting uh, a kiosk in uh, a fast food restaurant, right? Mm -hmm. We know that sales go up exponentially and we sort of know some of the science there. And now that's an avatar mm -hmm. that's AI driven, right? And the Dolly, it's, Dolly experience. Right? it's literally having a conversation and learning and adopting to what you're ordering, who's with you and uh, when you've been there before and, and the bigger environment. And so the add-on exponential of, uh, will I upsize my fries, right? We always use that example. Well, we know more people do that at a kiosk. Now I'm actually having a conversation. I'm actually adding on different product lines, mm -hmm. right? And the same thing in a, a traditional retail store. The one thing that I will say is still coming along and, and for the retailers out there as we think about AI is, and we always do this last as retailers or historically many of us have is think about the employee side of that. And you talked about uh, getting people to come back to work, well, try and get people to work in retail. And the AI applications, uh, some that we've talked about, uh, you know, you talk about camera video, but thinking about where AI changes productivity levels, mm -hmm. right? And, and the one thing that, that we as retailers uh, need to think about, hopefully simultaneously with the customer, um, is how do we change that and give our employees an experience that they're also expecting at the same acceleration mm -hmm. as a consumer uh, so that they feel engaged? And because no matter what changes, uh, when you're in a physical store, you need that employee experience, that interaction with the consumer to be a positive one mm -hmm. or it all goes Freaking down. Us, right? yeah, it, it's got to be, right. it's got to be with the smile, with a purpose. Now it mm -hmm. used to be with a smile. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now it's 
got to have a purpose, but the only purpose comes from showing the employees that they're valued and, and that they're getting gains. Mm-hmm. And, and AI has those applications mm-hmm. today as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so understanding what that balance is by brand is really important. Yeah, one other area uh, or a couple of areas that I think um, we ought to consider from an artificial intelligence perspective is, again, supply chain optimization. Um, I, I sort of you know, align it to something like the manufacturing process. How can we leverage artificial intelligence to sort of manufacture in a more ethical, sustainable way? And what that represents. And I know a lot of retailers have sustainability programs or they're part of some industry grouping, um, but those sustainability programs are quite limiting in, in some respects. And, and I've actually worked with some of those, those, uh, those applications and those programs and actually helped engineer and create, especially around uh, food ma- uh, processing and food manufacturing. Yeah. Um, so when you're looking at the sustainable supply chain on how you farm a particular product, what are the inputs in that particular uh, product? How did you harvest it? And you take that through the entire chain down to the manufacturing of the candy bar or the chocolate bar. So trying to establish that supply chain, whether it was done on a sustainable and ethical basis, I think artificial intelligence will come into play. So I think that's one thing that a lot of brands that have the muscle and wherewithal, they can certainly try and drive some of that application. Uh, The other thing is the ethical uh, use and sort of the algorithmic bias that potentially can exist, especially around omni-channel product interaction with consumers. What are the products that you're providing? What is your dynamic pricing? Are you sort of, is your dynamic pricing that you build regional and is that somewhat built in some sort of a regional bias? Mm -hmm. Those things can have downstream litigation challenges for a lot of retailers. So I think as you're as, as retailers are looking at how they're sort of bringing artificial intelligence to enable this personalized shopping experience, omni-channel access, dynamic pricing, they've got to make certain that those algorithms do not have some pre-embed. And not by design. This this often happens by, by yeah. accident, don't have those inherent biases. And I think that's another area that a lot of retailers ought to consider. Yeah, all of that touches on, you know, for me, when, when I'm speaking with retailers about how they start this acceleration, how they start to get ready. And one of the the things that all of this conversation leads back to is, this isn't a simple IT function. You're not just gonna go buy something, right? This is cross-functional. You've gotta consider your ethics. You gotta consider your brand. You have to consider your customer, your marketing, your supply chain, your HR and your employee side, right? right? It's an ecosystem. It's truly an ecosystem and so, And if there's ever one piece of advice that I try to give retailers in this conversation early, it's get a cross-functional team Mm -hmm. that's literally a team that's going to sit down and go, what are we as a business and where do we lean in on So though I agree, and I know you and I have had this conversation, I absolutely agree the cross-functional team is important, but I think the cross-functional team should be aligned across a common purpose. So you bring the cross-functional team because you need that brain power and that mind share that gives you that broader holistic view. The, but there ought to be a common purpose because sometimes with cross-functional teams, you have this challenge of everyone sort of trying to swim yeah. in their own swim lane and, and aligning them. So it's very important that even when you bring these cross-functional teams, they are all aligned around what the purpose is that they're driving. Yeah, so we've had this conversation, I'll share. I just saw um, a stat from Gartner's and they just did, this was uh, a worldwide CEO and, uh, survey, retail specific. Um, and a little over 50% of the retailers were starting this type of team, mm-hmm. right? And 
it wasn't shocking. I mean, 50% is still a pretty big number. Pretty I, big I was spot. a little surprised, but what surprised me more, over 50% of those who are starting this team in their 2024 plans have the head of that cross-functional reporting team to the reporting to the CEO, yeah. not yeah. the CIO. And, and, and that, right? that, that brings point, that alignment. To your point, right? right? And, and that really is the purpose. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, I mean, you, you step back. Trust me, I've, like, I've built a lot of cross-functional teams, and I know that's <laughs> always a bane that I have or a challenge I have. Um, silos I are a real thing. Silos right? are a real thing, especially in large organizations where there's sometimes this parochial view then everyone's trying to swim in their swim lane. So you've got to bring that level of alignment. Um, I, I think one thing that might be really useful to discuss is what are we seeing within the retail customer base that we have in terms of the types of engagements we are having and where are they sort of starting? So I don't know if you want to share some thoughts. I have certainly have some views on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Every day, twice a day, three times a day, somebody's <laughs> asking, yeah. And I, I will say, you know, the most common thing that, that we're talking about is, and yeah, what are others doing and where do I, I start, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you know, which, uh, we don't, most retailers aren't today. And, and, you know, I always bring this back outside of the, the few applications we've talked about, right, where there are some on supply chain, camera vision, probably ahead of the curve for in, in-store stuff. Yeah, and there's not... A lot of those that you would just put in front of a customer that are off the shelf, right? You're developing these today. They will be off the shelf in two years, three years. And so that's the most common question I get is, what are others doing and where do we start? And we talked about data and that's, that's where I always tend to start this conversation is data and organization are the two things that, that uh, we dive into the most. And because the one thing that, and we end up finding our, and and I want you to talk about our partnership a little bit here, is we know partners and we have lots of partners, uh, thousands of partners here at at Connection. But when they're one-on-one with our retail customers, they're gonna do, I can do anything. Mm -hmm. Can your camera vision solution do this? Of course, maybe, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so understanding what your organization stands for, that your data's aligned, um, and that is the third thing that that I try to get everyone is look for the right partner. Yeah, yeah I, I think partner ecosystem is a challenge, mm-hmm. and you're absolutely right. So I, I think just to sort of belabor the point that you raised, we're we're seeing our customers in about three buckets. I would sort of classify them in three buckets. You've got the really early stage folks. These are the ones who actually ask you the question. Oh, well, yeah, early adopters, right? So the, they are asking you that very simple, basic question. What is out there? What's the out of the possible? What's real versus hype? Can you give us that sensibility? So then we can start establishing our anchors around areas that we want to sort of work on. And, and those are, in large measure, I think the majority of folks, yeah. they're at that early stage, which is, this has happened too fast. It literally happened since November of last year, born out of chat GPT. And now my board wants to know what, what's my strategy mm-hmm. and what am I working on? And then you've got sort of the mid-tier folks. And the mid-tier folks are, are the ones who have a mature data strategy. They're the ones who are trying to solve that omni-channel strategy, right, or that challenge. And so they've built these analytic systems. They're driving a level of data automation. They've built these reasonably good cleanse structured data sets. And so now they're starting to establish some POCs, 
And yes, they're doing what we call general AI. There could be some level of computer vision. Uh, they're, they're bringing in some ISV partners or some specific solutions around surveillance, um, you know, uh, theft, I loss. Can do eight things. I can do a one, solution, one particular right? solution. So they're starting to sort of think. And then you truly do have the, the super mature guys and gals out there. I mean, and they've built, and I mean, and I'm pleasantly surprised. I've actually gone into some of these these outfits, and usually they are larger organizations. Exactly. They've invested millions of dollars in building their centers of excellence, and they are sophisticated. And and when I and the measure of sophistication in at least the AI space that I look at is companies that can start fine tuning foundational models, where they've got their own AI experts that are look taking some foundational model out there and they're fine tuning it and build, making it into almost a proprietary foundational model. That level of rigor and intelligence, and you know that the level of efficiency and competitive advantage that organization is gonna bring over the course of the next few years, that gap is gonna suddenly, you know, this is gonna keep expanding. So we do find our customers in those three, three buckets. And we are in some way, shape or form are less, uh, aligned with the most sophisticated customers because they've got their centers of excellence right. uh, and they're now sort of looking at more optimization relationships than anything else uh, but certainly the early stage customers and also the mid-tier customers is where we bring uh, value into that discourse yeah and, and we our, see the same thing that the, the one thing that uh, you know i point out here is again you know going back to this acceleration is you know, i say to our retail customers you can no longer just be an eventual follower yeah, mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to be the leader, and uh, you've got to be thinking fast follower or follower. And in retails, especially, we think it's about so, our brand and our so customer, the, and we'll get there eventually. Right. So the Maybe. analogy, the analogy I used to use, I, and I do lecture at a grad school on this subject, and I've been lecturing now for seven years on this topic, and I've often used the analogy flywheel effect. Mm -hmm. If you think about a flywheel, when you push it the first time, it's heavy, it's difficult, right? But it gains a momentum. Then you push it again, it speeds up. You push it again. AI in some ways is like a flywheel effect. Uh, it's it's difficult to start off with, but it gains velocity and momentum. And, and, and companies that are making those investments, it's hard, it's difficult. They're getting limited return in the classic sense, but they're creating this momentum of innovation, uh, creativity, um, excellence per se. And as technology itself is getting democratized, You've got algorithms that are becoming simpler. Those companies are gaining more and more velocity momentum. And, and that's why I often call, talk about that gap. Businesses that use AI are going to displace businesses that don't use Absolutely. AI. And I think that's that's something that we're seeing. But I wanted to double click on another point that you referenced earlier, the, the whole notion that artificial intelligence is this ecosystem. It's analogous to the web. For those of us who are gonna age ourselves in the mid 90s, working on this thing called HTTP. It was laborious, it was hard. You had browsers like Mosaic. The best thing you could do was make text-based images with some fractals. And if the page was exciting enough and interesting enough, maybe you could drop a banner ad, which was a JPEG. And, and that ad would be your monetization model. And that was the model that we had on the web, but the web itself was an ecosystem. You had applications, you had to have the T1 line, you had to have the server infrastructure, you needed to figure out how are you gonna use? So that overall ecosystem of what we call web orientation, where classic brick and mortar companies were saying, all right, fine, there are about 30 million people around the world using browsers and why, why is this useful for me? Or, and there were some who said, ah, this is not no, useful. 
I'm going to continue down the pathway I am. I'm going to be really good at selling a whole bunch of books in stores. Those companies didn't fare well. This is exactly analogous to that. My customers don't want that. <laughs> yeah, my customers, they want to flip the pages and be that. Um, and so that's the challenge. And again, I don't want to be flippant about it. There's something to be said about having a fundamental hedgehog principle, uh, right? And having a core value system around what your business represents. And there's no substitute for great products. Let's let's just put that aside. But beyond that, there are these technologies that can really help you amplify how those products get to market and how effectively you sell them. Yeah. So so let me ask. We've got uh, maybe uh, ten minutes or so uh, left here. Yeah. But let me flip this back to you. You you ask me uh, what are customers uh, asking and talking about today when they throw out those questions. Yeah. If you could just knock on a customer's door and say, "Time to get ready." Like. What should a retail customer, moderate retail customer, maybe not that leader who's got their own AI organization, but what would you say retailers should be doing today to get ready for what will come? Yeah, and my response is going to be similar for retailers, life sciences companies. There's almost a schizophrenic approach to artificial intelligence that you ought to consider. And that's a counterintuitive or sort of a strange response to articulate and the schizophrenic nature is that in some ways you've got to look at the downstream long-term transformation of your business and that sort of means how do i sanitize my applications what's my strategy how do i change my processes do i really want to become a data-driven business that there's an underlying philosophical change on on how your business operates and that change needs to be top-down driven right so your execs have to believe in what that essentially means. That's almost your North Star. And I, I would say that's the long term. And But the schizophrenic aspect to that is that you've got to have smaller localized wins. You know, So though in long term, you're driving for the long term worldview vision of how do I build an efficient automated business and what does that represent? Re- represents a lot of changes in processes, thinking, parochial views being broken up, walls being broken down. That's almost a cultural shift. But at the same time, you've got to tactically hit at short-term wins. These could be simple wins like those ISV single point solutions. How do I bring them? While at the same time, always looking at that North Star. So they're not misaligned. So there's almost this dichotomy always at play. And, and that is a very difficult thing for, because folks like things really well bucketed yeah. and, 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 and structured. But I think- It's comfortable. It's comfortable. Right? And this, it. is not comfortable. this is not comfortable. That's the thing for a retailer who's in the business, right? If I like to sell clothing, I like to sell clothing. I don't like to do technology, right? right? I didn't get into designing jewelry right? to have a technology company, yeah, but you have to you to have some to extent, right? Yeah, and so making sure we don't lose the data um, as we're doing that. And maybe you, you can talk to the team here. And I know here at, at Connection, we're doing some work to support retailers on this journey and we're all businesses on this journey. Right. And maybe you can just talk a little bit about our approach and uh, how we can actually help them do do and take this on today. Yeah, so I, I think the first thing I'll say is Connection's approach is not something that you know was a very flippant approach or something that was just almost a knee-jerk reaction. We've literally put almost two years worth of thinking behind how do we want to approach this. And in large measure, that required us to also look internally within our business and say, how do we become more data-oriented? So in some ways, the last five years has been a lot of this data realignment and building out our more capable e-commerce systems, where today now, I think on an uh, annual basis, 
We have almost 1.4 billion eyeballs that visit our digital brands. We have the, you know, we, we service almost 1.4 million users every month coming to our digital assets. That required a revisiting of our applications, our data, and there's still a lot of work to be done uh, that oh. the team, team's working on and has done a phenomenal job so far. Uh, but that was one of the things that that we did in in sort of our sort of evolution um, of this process. Um, but as we were going through the process of thinking through, we first needed to solve the technical challenge, right? So we we had to look at it again from a multitude of different ways. And that technical challenge had to resolve one, the advisory function. How do we go into an account and become great advisors for our customers, right. having that skill set that is vertically aligned? So, I mean, imagine the number of times we've gone into a vertical and we talk the vertical conversation, yeah. right? So if it's a retail conversation, we talk retail. Because I think that business alignment with any technology strategy is fundamental. Yeah. If you don't have that There's alignment. There's no asking what compute power do you need right, right. before you that's, understand That's a secondary, secondary yeah. uh, question. Now, that, so that is fundamental, is that advisory capability where the customer in this case, a retail outlet feels comfortable that these guys understand my business. They understand what it means building these widgets, the supply chain behind it, the underlying ability for me to sort of build a great retail strategy and what that means. Um, almost equally important is sort of the data orchestration challenge. You cannot have a meaningful AI successful journey if you do not have a meaningful successful data strategy. It's that basic. Now that does mean does not necessarily mean that your data has to be pristine. And I think there's a lot of uh, flex that's now available that if you ask me this question 10, 15 years ago, hey, let's establish some meaningful AI, I would say data, data, data. Work 99% of the time in aligning your data and then maybe we'll be lucky in how we train our models and get lucky. But now I think there's more flex now. You can have a little bit of dirty data, you can have a little bit of unstructured data and so on and so forth and get away with it. So, but still data is a fundamental prelude or, or, you know, for under, underpinning upon which you can build meaningful AI value. Um, then something that we're historically always been strong at Connection, which is uh, infrastructure design and optimization, right? How are you building that infrastructure from cloud all the way down to the edge in retail? And what does that infrastructure represent and everything in between? Not just the edge, not just the cloud, the on-prem, where does your data, where do you infer your data, that core infrastructure that's there, how do you design that in an optimized fashion where you're not sort of overspending? This is often with AI, there'll be that, that concern that comes in as well. So having the skill set and the ability to do that is a critical component. So that's one of the, that's the third, third area that we focus in on. Um, the fourth area is uh, what I would classify um, as application um, you know, replatforming. We call it kinetic bridging which is you've got to look at your applications across the board and say, are my applications smart? Are they not smart? Can What's you say the, what that's called again? Because I, if I'm a retailer, I went, but we had this, right, I went, right. what's that? I, we call it kinetic bridging. And the reason why we call it kinetic bridging is it's a terminology that's connections own terminology. It's, it's how do we take our applications and inform kinetic actions? And those kinetic actions can happen in manufacturing, they can happen in store and so on and so forth. So we call it kinetic bridging. So how do your how are your applications smart? Are they are they creating intelligence or are they consumers of intelligence? And so that requires a rethinking of your applications uh, across the spectrum. And so that's that's sort of the uh, um, the the fourth area. Um, and then there are a couple of other areas that we focus in on in terms of partner ecosystems. How do we bring up partners? 
we have these foundational partners that, that are on play. But that, that's connection center of excellence for AI. Uh, applied, we call it applied AI and robotics. And, and that's essentially uh, what we bring to bear for our customers when we are engaging with you. Yeah, thank you for that. And uh, we're gonna start to wrap up, but I, I wanted to end on that as specifically as, you know, in 45 minutes, we talked a lot about what's happening in the world, but it, it's very clear that there is a lot happening and it's all over the place. And we've got to figure out, you know, where do we lean in and you've got brand and you've got full organizations and that advisory portion, right? Understanding where you're at before you're just buying something if you're the retailer or selling something if you're connection, right? Is so important. And one of the things that I'm really proud of. And so for the retailers on here, and you know, it's a place where I would say lean in, right? There's no charge, whether it's a conversation around road mapping with me, whether it's a bigger uh, advisory conversation, whether it's into the data team, and eventually you know, we get into how do you actually build that out, right, for your organization. Yeah, but there is a process to that. Yeah, and it's one of the things I'm proud of here it at is, Connection is, yeah, it's, we're not just going, hey, we'll sell you this, right? Like, no, but I we, wanna, all, know, I we thank, all know those advisors who will. Yeah, yeah, no, but I want to thank you because the amount of effort you put in, especially the workshop that we built for our retail AI and it was such a successful. There is event. a workshop that exists, right? And and I I know Brian worked months on that, yeah, wow. and how we fine tuned that workshop and the broader team that did that. But I I think uh, it is really an exceptional piece of work and yeah. uh, something that we look forward to sort of engaging with other customers on. So. Yeah, and and so for anybody uh, that is interested, uh, if you've got an account manager here at Connection, reach out to them. Uh, ask them about um, our applied AI and robotics uh, group. Uh, they know how to get a hold of us. If you don't and you're here, you can get to me directly. It's brian.gallagher uh, at connection.com. I'm happy to talk. Anytime we can talk about retail and what's happening in the business and how we're changing that business, yeah, I could talk all day. So yeah, you, you won't be bugging me. Yeah, it's the fun part of my day. But any last thoughts, Jamal, before uh, we wrap up? Today? No, I mean, I, the only thoughts are I'm super optimistic and excited about where now, you know, AI is going in, in general terms. I've, you know, historically been relegated into the corner room or in the room, you know, in the <laughs> corner of the room when, when we used to talk about AI 15, 20 years ago, that's certainly changed. Um, it also is physically exhausting because Kim sort of my, my EAS constantly got me on the road flying all over the place. You're so, cool now. Yeah, I'm cool now, I guess. Right. Um, so super excited about what the prospects are, uh, but obviously there's this is a challenge, right? I, I don't want to sort of understate how difficult this still is. Yeah, I mean, and there are it, things we haven't talked about, the whole ethics, right, uh, right. the management of yeah. that, uh, the governance that has to go in. I mean, there are layers, there, and, there layers. Are layers and layers that, that have to be unwound. Uh, but I, I think at Connection, you, you, you certainly have a partner that is super curious about this technology, this area. We're constantly learning. And, and, you know, that's the value that we bring for our customers is trying to sort of impart some of that knowledge to, to your efforts. And we look forward to having that level of engagement. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, uh, uh, we'll conclude today's session. I, I really appreciate the time. Again, I understand uh, the time of year we're in. So uh, it definitely means something to me to have everyone here with us uh, today. If you want to get in touch, I, I know uh, my email address is in the chat. Reach out to your account manager. Uh, and uh, let's chat about what AI looks like in 2024 and beyond.
Thank you, Jamal. Great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, okay. sir. Thank you.